0: Good morning, and it's December, and so December is the month that we celebrate Christmas. Let me say Merry Christmas. I'm so glad that we get to celebrate uh, the coming of Christ, and uh, we're not quite uh, going to start into the Christmas series. We have I have one more message that I want to preach from the Above and Beyond series, but I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 12 this morning as, as we look at uh, as seeking for God to do above and beyond what we can ask or think um according to his will and so uh, as you know we've been looking at ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21 it's the end of a prayer paul writes now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen Hey, listen, we're one of those generations and we're asking God to do above and beyond uh, among our church. And I've been preaching just a tiny short little series Uh, to help prepare our church for all the transition that is coming at the end of this year. And so uh, I started with a a message about generous giving, and uh, God is on the move. He's working. He's providing. Uh, November was actually a very strong giving month. Well done, church, in that. And then uh, last week I did a message called, Who's in Charge of the Church? And we were looking at eldership and, and how uh, Jesus is the head of the church, but he uses elders, spiritually mature elders, to, to uh, lead the church. And so we saw that. I want to do one more message in this series. And today's message is called God is in Control. So uh, this, is inter- this is a message that I've actually preached at our church here before. I did a whole series through Acts chapter 12 in August of 2015. I know a lot of you were not here at that point. And, and then I did a message as we preached through the book of Acts in May of 2017. We, I preached this chapter to us. And again, I know there's still quite a few people who uh, are new to our church since that time. And so I wanted to preach my favorite story in the Bible. Do you have a favorite story of the Bible? Well, mine is in Acts chapter 12. And the reason is kind of funny. It's because the bad guy gets eaten by worms at the end. It's just it's just awesome god's justice is on full display in the midst of this um and, and so i want to i, I want you to, to i want to preach this sermon to you but not just because it's my favorite story but because i believe that this is something that our church needs to hear right now at this particular time so <coughs> so if you were to look at the book book of acts you would see that the church is unstoppable when the holy spirit is unleashed And coming in Acts chapter 12, kind of the middle of the book, we're seeing that the church is unstoppable when the Holy Spirit, when the power of God is at work. Though there is a problem. Sometimes it seems like the church is indeed stopped. Because of the circumstances that seem so big up against us, many times we fear that the church is actually stopped in what it is called to do and that the Holy Spirit is maybe not powerful enough to do all that he has said that he is doing. And so uh, I want to reinforce uh, an understanding. I, I think you probably know if you come to church um, that God is in control. Um, but I want to reinforce this idea again. Write this down. This is the main point of the message. God is in control. And that means even when things seem like it's out of control, God is still in control. But as I mentioned, it doesn't always seem like things that, that God is in control. Um, I mean, it's, you might look at that phrase and go, that seems a little bit empty, Pastor. And, and, and there's times where I doubt a little bit about God being in control of all things. So let me just ask you, what makes you doubt God? I know for me, when I suffer, I can doubt God. And when I'm in the midst of a crisis... I wonder if God's really in control. And, and when I feel weak, I, I oftentimes I think God's weak. And, and when I see evil winning in the world, God, where are you? Are you really in control? And what I want you to see here today is that even when you don't see it, and even when you don't feel it, even when you're asking, God, are you working? And are you really in control? We can have confidence that he is and we can put our full trust in him because of it. So a little bit of background. Acts, at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, and that's why the church is unstoppable. Not because we are strong and we are in control, but because the, the power of the Holy Spirit is at work within us as a church, even when it doesn't feel, always feel that way. So I want us to look at this particular text, and if you have your Bibles, make sure you're looking at Acts chapter 12. I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, as I often do first, but we're just going to kind of work our way through the story here this morning. And uh, we're going to let the story kind of unfold in that. And so let me, uh, let's me let start here. Um, it, it starts in Acts chapter 12, uh, about that time. And if you're a good student of the Bible, you might be asking what time are they talking about? And the verses right beforehand tell us uh, about the particular time that is being talked about here. In, verse, in chapter 11, verse 27, it says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place during the days of Claudius, that's the Roman emperor. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so this is the time that is being talked about. Acts chapter 12 takes place when there's famine going on in Jerusalem where the story is located. So people are already suffering because of the world event that is happening. This is about AD 44 uh, in timeline. And and Claudius, it mentions, is the emperor of Rome at this particular time. But it's not Claudius that we're gonna be battling here. Notice, about that time, Herod the king, Herod is the one that's in control. Now, if you read the Bible, you see Herod a number of different times, but it's not the same man each time. So, back when we see little baby Jesus is born, and Herod uh, tries to kill, kill all the babies in Jerusalem because, or I'm sorry, in Bethlehem because he's trying to kill Jesus, that's actually Herod the Great. And that's the grandfather of this particular man. And Herod the Great was a, was a king for this particular region. He was a terrible, violent, angry man. He had 10 wives, so he had lots and lots of kids. He killed some of them. He's crazy. He's out of control. And, and, And that's the heritage of this particular Herod at this time. Herod Agrippa I is who this individual is. You see, Herod is not a name, but it's a title. It's kind of like the king, like King Agrippa is who's being talked about here. And so we see here that Herod, the King Agrippa, It says here in verse 1, it laid violent hands on some who belong to the church. There's persecution being given to the church by the political leader around the region of Jerusalem. Write this down this morning. It's the first point. God is in control even when I suffer. That's what we're gonna see in these verses, in these first five verses. That God is in control even when I suffer. Now, you think about suffering and you realize that there's a lot of suffering going on around the world because people are loyal to Jesus. This is persecution. And we need a good theology to help us understand how do we face suffering? How do we continue to have confidence that God is in control even in the midst of this kind of persecution? I mean, if you're persecuted for your faith because you believe in Jesus... If, if that's physical, or if that's verbal, or if that's uh, some job-related types of, type of thing, you don't advance because the boss doesn't believe what you believe, you might wonder, has he left us? Has he abandoned us? He doesn't really seem to care about us. And that's incorrect. That's why we need this, this good teaching, this good theology from the Scripture to remember God is in control, even when I'm suffering, even in the middle of that kind of suffering. So we're going to see the suffering. In verse 2, it says, Herod killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So so we see here that this is what the persecution has happened. The whole church is being persecuted. But now one of the leaders of the church have been taken by Herod and, and under government authority, he's been killed by the sword. You can make that sound, right? James has been killed, and Herod is actually pleasantly surprised by the result of that. It says in verse 3, And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So Herod is, is persecuting the church because it advances his political status among the people that he is the king over. You remember how the Jews were very much against Jesus, and they put him to death on the cross, right? Crucify him, crucify him. So, so there's still an animosity against the followers of Jesus that are happening uh, numbers of years, a decade later. And and so in this, we see that that there's this persecution and suffering that's going on. James has been killed. That pleased the Jews. That motivated the king because he got political uh, 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 credit out of that. And it continues, it says, This was during the days of the unleavened bread. That's the Passover time. Verse 4, And when he had seized him, Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So a couple of things here, we see that Peter then is taken, put into prison. Notice four squads of soldiers. Now a squad of soldiers is four. And so four times four, somebody do the math, shout it out. Peter has 16 sweaty, big, burly soldiers all around him at guarding him. Listen, one guy being guarded by 16 guys. They were afraid of Peter for some reason. And you'll remember why, because in Acts chapter 4, we see that Peter was part of the crew that that jailbreak, that they got out of prison. Somehow, miraculously, they got out of that. And and so they're, they're worried about that. Herod's like, man, I, I want to make sure that I have this guy. And, and he intends, after this big Passover feast, when the city is swollen with pilgrims from all over the world that has come, they, they, he's going to make a spectacle of Peter. He's going to bring them out to the people. What do you, what do you think that that means? Make the sound? You see, he's going to bring him out. He's going to kill them. He He's going to put him to the sword just like he put... James to the sword. And, and yet in that, what we're going to see in the story is that it is foolish to fight God. And the reason is because God's power cannot be contested. I, I want you to see that over and over in this story. We're going to see that it's foolish that he's against God and that God's power can't be contested because he's the one that's, going, that's in control. Now, does it seem like that to the church right now? Not at all. It, they they have violent hands being laid on them. James, their leader, has been one of their leaders has been killed. Peter, another leader, the kind of the top leader, is now in prison, about ready to be taken out and be killed at the end of the Passover feast. It doesn't feel like God is in control at all. So what does the church do? Read verse five. It says, "So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest." Prayer for him was being made to God by the church. The church at this moment is praying. This is the right response to suffering, always. When there's suffering that you're experiencing, the right first and continual response is prayer. Notice what kind of prayer it is. It says earnest prayer. The word in the original language actually means to be stretched to the limit. It's kind of like a rubber band, right? It's a rubber band stretched to the limit. If you pull it one inch more, it'll break the rubber band. It's actually a medical terminology to talk about our muscles. So when your muscles are stretched to the limit, it's this idea of earnest and fervent and strong, and really the word intense is a great substitute. You see, when we believe that God is in control, we depend upon Him intensely in these suffering situations. You see, there's a real battle that's going on. Go ahead, say it out loud. It's real. And when the real battle is going on, your best position is on your knees, fervent, intense, continual, not stopping prayer the way the church is doing right here. I would encourage you, church, even as we move forward as as a church in the transitions and you have a new team of elders, be praying for your leaders. Be constantly praying for your leaders, not just when they're suffering, not just when they're facing persecution, but prayer is the key to having good leaders in the church. Are you praying for your leaders? Now, you get to the story here and you're like, wait a second, pastor, you're saying that the main idea here is God is in control, but I'm not seeing it. <laughs> I don't know, pastor, this church is in trouble. I mean, more trouble than we are as a church. They have violent hands laying on them. One of their leaders has been killed. Their, their senior pastor is now in prison, about ready to be killed. I'm just not seeing that God is in control. But listen, this is when you need somebody to show up to encourage you from God's word, to show you that God is indeed in control. Because we're not supposed to take our view of life from what we see. We need to understand that it's about what we hear from God's Word, not from each other, from God's Word, that we should be viewing our life from. And so one of my favorite verses is Psalm 27, verse 13. I memorized it this way, uh, New New American Standard Version. (coughs) I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So so one of the things that I I love about this verse is that when I'm in the midst of feeling despair because of suffering in my life, that, that it's telling me I can believe I'm going to see the goodness of God, not just sometime in the future, not just out there in eternity when he comes back. I can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm going to believe and trust. I'm going to see him right now in the middle during the suffering. I'm going to see him. And so the only thing that God doesn't tell me in the midst of this suffering, listen, he's told me everything I need to know. He's in control in the middle of suffering. I just don't know when he's going to do the acting. And so many times that's the problem with faith, right? Is is I want God to act now. And yet in the midst of this, we don't know when God's gonna work. And so in application, if we're people who will trust that God is in control, even when we're suffering, we need to wait for God to work in the middle of suffering, during suffering. That's when we're waiting for God to work. Listen, we you could suffer in many ways in this world. Some, sometimes it might be violent hands laying on you, the way the persecution is happening here. But that's not how it's happening at the moment. Maybe, maybe uh, in our lives right now, it's more about politics at work and how when people uh, don't care about morals or they don't follow the way Jesus does things, that they get advanced and you don't. Maybe it's, it's something verbal, that people verbally attack you because of your belief. Maybe it's just living in a sin-sick world, and part of the results of that is, is lack of health. And so there's sickness in this world, there's death in this world, and, and you're suffering because of that. Maybe you're suffering economically. We know these are hard times for many. And, and there's been really not an increase, but decrease in your economic ability. And so you're feeling the tension and the, the suffering of that. Maybe just internally there's a depression or there's a a loneliness that's going on. In all of that, we're learning from Acts chapter 12 that God is above all of that. And that when we wait in faith for Him, like we just learned in the book of Habakkuk earlier this year, right? Just a month or so ago. that, that, That in the midst of darkness, we can have hope if we have eyes of faith, if we live by our faith, Habakkuk says. And so I want to encourage you, listen, waiting is not sitting on your hands, not doing anything. It's not lazy. It's actually the active pursuit of prayer in the midst of these things, that we trust God and we depend actively on Him in prayer. Wait for God during suffering by waiting in faith. That means praying in the midst of it like the church was doing at this moment. So waiting is hard. But it's not hard if you embrace the reality that God is in control. That's why you're praying. God is in control even when I suffer. But, but here's something maybe a little bit harder. Next level up. Number two, write this down. God is in control even when it seems too late. Not just when I suffer, but when there's a crisis, when it's at the last moment, at the last minute, uh, that's when the crisis is happening. So notice this is kind of what happens next in the story. In verse 6 it says, Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night... So so Peter doesn't have weeks left to live. He doesn't have days left to live. doesn't even have hours really necessarily left to live. This is the night before he's going to be made a public spectacle before the crowd and then be put to death. On that very night, notice what Peter was doing. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. 16 guys. He's around them. And so there's a guy, one guy on either side of him. He's bound in these chains. And and, and Peter, the night before he knows he's going to die, what's his attitude? What's his disposition? How's he handling it? He's asleep. The the sweaty guy that he's chained to next to him, he's, he's got his head on his shoulder. He's drooling down the guy's arm, right? Peter is asleep in the midst of this. He knows what's going to happen and he's not concerned. I mean, this gives all the credibility in the world to what he writes in his epistle, 1 Peter 5:7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I mean, Peter's asleep because he believes that God is caring for him, that God is in control, even though he's chained to two sweaty guys with 14 other guys, making sure he doesn't get out of the prison. Like, Peter is so confident that God is in control, that he can sleep in the middle of the night. It goes on to say, And behold, look, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off of his hands. So so Peter, not really a a night person, not a night owl, can't stay awake. He's asleep. His anxieties, he's cast them on the Lord. He's drooling on the shoulder of the soldier next to him. The the, 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 The angel has to strike him, has to hit him to wake him up. He's sleeping so soundly. He's so trusting in God's control. He says get up quickly and the chains fell off his hands verse 8 and the angel said to him dress yourself and put on your sandals he, the angel had to be his mom get your get your stuff on we got to go and he and peter did so and and he said to, the angel said to him wrap your cloak around you and follow me and he went out and followed him he did not know what was being done by the angel was real but thought he was seeing a vision now, Peter, remember, he's the guy who in Joppa had the vision up on the rooftop, like he's accustomed to having kind of these weird dreamlike experiences that are actually reality. And here he is, he's like, I in. I'm kind of in this dozing days. I've been sleeping so soundly. I can't even see what's real. I got my clothes on. I'm walking out. I just think I'm in a dream. I'm. Ho- I'm hoping, right? When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city it opened for them of its own accord it's a listen peter didn't touch the gate it just opened but but think about that it says it's this iron gate leading into the city what would have what would that sound like right it, it, it squeaks open. It's this iron gate, right? Peter, like the guy just got out of prison. He escaped. He, he hears the sound of like, oh, 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 the dog starts barking. The light goes on in the house over here. I mean, what do you think Peter is feeling at this moment, right? It says they went out and went along the street and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Does God rescue people? Yeah. And notice, it's never too late when he does. Now, I've noticed God is hardly ever early, but he's never late. And what we see here is that no prison can hold the servant of God that God wants freed. We see God's power at work. It's foolish to fight against God because God is the one that's in control. And he's on time, but notice, probably rarely from our perspective. From, from Peter's perspective, it seems too late. From the people in the prayer meeting, it's like it's happening tonight. We're going to pray, but it seems too late. It's midnight it's crisis. It seems too late. So I'm not going to be able to fix this, God. And God says, look, in dependence and faith upon me. You're going to have to pray like you've never prayed before. But when you're in crisis, look for the unexpected. Listen, that's, that's something I want you to write down. When you're in the middle of, God, it seems too late. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. I don't know how this is going to work. There's nothing left that can be done. Remember that God is the God who specializes in raising from the dead. It's not too late. So write this down application. When you're in crisis, look for the unexpected, look for a different picture than what you thought or what you wanted. So many times when we pray and we're praying for a situation, we have an idea about how it's supposed to happen and we're in crisis when it's not happening that particular way in that particular time, but but look for something different in a crisis because it's not going the way we thought it planned. We feel out of control. We feel like it's out of God's control. But look for the unexpected. Look for something different than what you thought was going to happen there. So Harvest KL, it feels a little bit out of control right now. As our pastor, myself, as our worship leader, John, as, as, as our kids director and youth director, Bethany, as these staff members are in the midst of transition and leaving and we're concerned about what the future is going to hold and how that's going to look, it would be very easy to, in the midst of feeling the crisis of those things, to sense and think that God is not actually in control, that He's abandoned us that he doesn't, really, he doesn't really care about us and we should just close shop and just continue on. But listen, I believe that we should be looking for something unexpected, something different than what we thought this next year was going to look like. Because God wants to use people who have faith and belief that He's in control. He wants to use them even if it's in a different way than what we imagined or thought it was going to look like. God wants to build His church using you as you understand that you can trust Him because He's in control. As a church, one of the things that I believe is at the core of what God is trying to get us to do is to shift from seeing that there's a church in action and moving on and that somebody else will take care of the responsibility to be able to have ministry happen at this place. He wants us to shift from that mindset to one that, where there's a core of committed members carrying out the mission of this church. He wants us to shift from watching to actually being involved in doing. And in the midst of wondering how is our church going to continue, I believe that God is calling you. He's using these events to call a group of people together who will, in the midst of feeling a little bit dazed and confused by the crisis, will believe that God is going to lead you out. That, that in the midst of, of, man, I'm not sure how this is going to happen. I feel kind of weak in the midst of this, that they're, they're going to put their trust in that fact that God's in control, that He knows exactly what He's doing in shifting these items, and that He's going to use people full of faith, to build this church. Listen, in the middle of whatever suffering you're feeling in life, in the middle of whatever crisis it is, whether our church or something personal that's going on, whatever you're facing, whatever you're feeling in the midst of a lack of faith in this, I want you to receive as truth. Acts chapter 12, God is in control. Even when I'm suffering, even when it seems too late and I'm in some sort of crisis, And then number three, write this down, God is in control even when my faith is weak. You're like, wait, really, Pastor? Even when my faith is weak? I I thought that God wants people with strong faith. I thought I'm supposed to have a strong faith and... And I believe that we should be growing to that, but I think we have to be honest as well, that we don't all start with strong faith. We don't all feel strong in the middle of things. Sometimes we're not even ending well in strong faith. But, but God is in control even if your faith is weak. In other words, it doesn't depend upon you. It depends upon God. So we see here the story, a new character that begins to be introduced in verse 12. It says, when Peter, he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So that's John Mark. So in the book of Acts, uh, Luke is the author, and many times when he introduces a new character, what he does is he gives a little bit of a preview before the main story of that character is told. And so this is the preview. This is the beginning of the introduction of John Mark into the story of Acts. And we see here that it begins with the prayer meeting. This earnest prayer that's being made by the church is happening in one of the members of the church's house. Her name is Mary. She has the son, John Mark, that's going to go on missionary journeys and be a good pastor later in life. But, but it begins by having a prayer meeting in her house. That's where they're all gathered together. Notice it says, many were gathered together and were praying. And when he, Peter, knocked at the door at the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Now, one of the best verses in the Bible happens next, right? Verse 14, recognizing Peter's voice. What? She opened the door, gave him a huge hug, said, come in, oh, don't let the neighbors know that you're here. No, she had nothing like that. Notice the kind of irony in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. She leaves Peter hanging outside. I mean, Peter just got out, he just escaped prison. He's sneaking through the streets. The dogs are barking, the light came on in the house and he's trying to kind of hide and make his way to his friend's house and, and they leave him at the gate. In the midst of that, she runs in and she says says, uh, to them, she reports that Peter's standing there in verse 14. Look at 15. They said to her, you are out of your mind. Wow, what a prayer meeting. What kind of faith do you think these people had? She keeps insisting that it was so, and they keep saying, it's his angel. They come up with this new theology that, wow, he, he's in prison. Actually, we're praying for him. He's in prison, but he's, he's dead. If he's at the gate, that's not really him, it's an angel. But Peter continued knocking. So, so here's Peter. He's, he's knocking at the gate. The servant girl ran away from him, didn't let him in, tells the prayer meeting they're praying for him. Now, imagine what, what are they praying in this prayer meeting? They're praying. God, please let Peter out. Please let God do something. We don't know how to work, but God, could you you please rescue Peter in the midst of this? And they hear from Rhoda, he's at the gate. And they say, you're out of your mind. It's an angel. So so let's just kind of rate this prayer meeting on on a scale of 1 to 10. Uh, Put up on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like really strong and 1 being like no faith at all. How much faith is going on at this prayer meeting? Well, for sure, it's, it's less than one, one hand, right? You decide. One, maybe one, number two, right? There is not strong faith going on here. There is weak faith. But God answered their prayer. They thought he was dead. They thought it was an angel. They invented the theology even right there. In the midst of this, in their heart, they think it's over, but they're praying. They think it's not going to make a difference. It's gone too far. It's too late. There's been too much suffering. God, I don't think that this is even able to happen. We're going to start changing our prayer. Now, you know, if you've been in church very, very long, that faith is important. In Mark 11:24, 24, whatever you ask in faith, believe that you have received it and it will be done for you. They, they, they haven't, don't have that kind of faith. In Hebrews 11:6, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Wow. Faith is really important. But aren't you glad that God answers fervent, but faithless prayers? Aren't you glad that the answer to your prayer isn't dependent upon how much faith you have. That's because sovereignty, that meaning God's control, supersedes faith. God's control is more important than the amount of faith that you bring to the prayer meeting. The fact is that God is in control because He's bigger than your weaknesses. And in the midst of that, God wants to change that about you. He wants to strengthen your faith. And so he's willing to take you to some dark places. He's willing to take you to some scary things to try to increase and grow your faith. He's willing to show you in the midst of a prayer meeting. We were praying without faith as Peter stands at the door. I mean, we all have prayed, get out of prison prayers. But have we really believed that God would indeed release the captive? So notice here, it says that Peter continues knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him and they were amazed. Actually, when it says amazed, it literally means that they had an out of body experience. They couldn't believe what their eyes saw in front of them. It didn't seem like reality, the fact that Peter was there. It shows how far from faith their prayer meeting actually was. But in the midst of this, we see the supernatural power of God in the church. When there's praying going on, listen, even in the weak praying, God is in control and He's showing up and He's accomplishing His purposes. Says here, he motioned in verse 17, motioning them though with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord, notice the Lord, it's the Lord that's in control. He didn't slip out of prison. He wasn't some Houdini. He wasn't able to get rid of out of the change himself. It was the Lord had brought him out of prison. Wow, that would, that, that's a great story. I can't wait to be in heaven and get that story from Peter, right? And he said, Tell these things to James. Uh, that's the leader of the church, not the man who died, tell these things to James and to and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. I, I think it's important you understand it's not wrong to flee persecution. It's not wrong to try to get out of suffering in the midst of these things. And Peter, he went into hiding at this particular place, knowing that they would actually be looking for him. God was in control in the suffering and, and And in the weak faith that was going on, I want to encourage you just by way of application here that when you are weak, empty yourself of solutions. Stop trying to solve it in a way that is absent from God's power and control. Many times the first thing you have to do is actually empty yourself of all your good ideas and all the ways you're going to fix it and all the ways that you're going to change the, the environment and make it happen the way that you think it should look. Instead, you should know, when you know that you are not full of faith, you need to stop. Stop trying to fix things. Get on your knees... Notice they were in that earnest prayer meeting. Look for how God is showing up unexpectedly. Suddenly Peter's at the door. And stay on your knees until you see him show up. Resist solving problems on your own. Now listen, I I think we should be about the work of building the kingdom. I think we should be about the work of building the church. I think there should be activity involved in these things. But only after we have prayed, only after we have seen God show up, only at the moment where we have stopped trying to do things in our own power because we finally acknowledged I'm too weak to do this in my own strength. Empty yourself of you and put your trust on God. He's the one that's in control. Notice Peter described to them how the Lord brought him out of prison. This is the Lord's doing. This isn't His doing in any way. When you are weak, we've got to stop trying to do things in our weak, powerless ways, even though we we still just crazily go after those things. We need to trust in God first. So God, we see here, is bigger than suffering. He's bigger than crisis. He's bigger than the weakness that was, is, is within us, our weak faith. And here's one more thing. God is in control even when evil seems to prosper. Even when evil seems like it's winning, God is in control. We see this in the last part of the story. So look at verse 18. It says, Now when, the day, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers. In other words, there was a huge brouhaha over what had become of Peter. He disappeared into thin air. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. So, so this is what happened in Roman times, in, in Roman Empire. If you were the soldier in charge of the prisoner and the prisoner escaped, you died for, for letting him get away. That was the penalty if you, if you didn't actually control your prisoner. And so that's what he did. 16 guys killed right there because Peter had escaped. Now, Herod, he's, he's crazy, right? He's a madman. So, so in the midst of all the stress of that, it says, then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. He, he was up the mountain in Jerusalem. He went down to the ocean, down to the coast. He needed to get away for a little vacation time. And, and it co- goes on to say, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Why? Well, first of all, because Herod was angry with everybody all the time. That was just all the family genes right there coming out. He's always angry. But, but on top of that, he's angry with the two cities up in Syria, what we would call Syria today. Somehow they had offended him. We, we don't know exactly what that was, but they had offended him and he was angry with them. And he had cut off food to those cities from, from, from his kingdom And remember, there's already a famine. So that's actually this incredibly mean, uh, merciless thing that he's doing. And so we see here that it says, They came to him in one accord. They joined together and in unity they came and persuaded Blascius, the king's chamberlain. Now, kind of funny right here, Blascius, right? I've never dedicated a little baby Blascius in front of the church. What a crazy name, right? And, but we see here he's the king's chamberlain. He's the king's personal assistant, if you will. And they've been able to convince him, probably by bribery, they've been able to get him to, to get them on his schedule to, to, see, uh, to see Herod Agrippa. And so he's on the calendar to have this because, because Herod is starving them of food. It, say, that's not right. And yet, have you ever read the news, right? Many times, despot rulers, this is the way they do things. Dictators and so forth. When you see something like this, you're like, God, are you in control in the world? God, go get them. Go do something about it. And yet it seems like people get away with this all the time. It seems like people who hate God, who are in power and control, they oftentimes abuse those who they are supposed to be protecting. And that's what is happening right here. And God says in his word, if people wrong you, don't get even yourself, right? It's God's job. To, to exhibit justice. Vengeance is mine. I will take care of this is what God says. And we also know that God's going to take care of all of these things at the end of history, when, when the day of the Lord happens and there's a judgment that happens at that particular time. When Jesus returns as judge, he's gonna right all the wrongs. But sometimes it's like, God, could, could you just do something now? Are you even in control of the things right now? I see all the evil things around me and I'm wondering, God, really? Are you in control when it's this bad, when it's this evil, when evil seems like it's winning? But just this one time, God shows us his justice. Not just one time. If you read the Bible, you see numbers of times. But it's on full display right here. We see how the story goes. So has has gotten them on the calendar and they ask for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food, on Herod for food. Twenty-one on the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat on the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, "The voice of a god and not a man." So, so you need to understand what's going on here. They've come to ask for peace, and Herod is a tyrant to the max. And and, and he and so he he on this appointed day on the day on the calendar that Blastus has put everything on that. He puts on his royal robes and he gives an oration. So an oration is an arrogant speech. I'm king, you're not. That type of thing, right? And it's interesting because the Jewish historian Josephus records this event. And, and in his history book, he says this. On the second day of which shows he put on, there, there was a whole celebration for, for Claudius coming back from Britain. And on the second day of the celebration, he put on a garment made wholly of silver and of the contexture truly wonderful and came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it, shone out after a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently upon him. So I've actually been to this amphitheater at Caesarea and and the stage faces to the east, The, the, the amphitheater faces to the west and looks out over the Mediterranean Sea. And so Herod, at the appointed time, puts on this silver robe, and as the sun comes up over the lip of the amphitheater and begins to shine down on the stage, he comes out all proud like, I'm the king, I'm the one in control, I'm taking the food from you. You need to bow down for me. And they do. Notice what it says. It says that the people shout the voice of a God and not a man, the voice of a God, not a man. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that's not right. You, you know that at that moment, Herod should be saying, stop, stop, stop. Don't worship me. Don't worship me. Only God's the one that deserves worship. But does he do that? No, not at all. He, he, he actually is like, come on, tell me some more. Tell me how great I actually am. Josephus actually tells us about this. He continues and says, And presently his flatterers cried out, one, one from one place and another from another, though not for his good, that he was a God. And they added, Be thou merciful to us, for although we have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth own thee as superior to a mortal nature. That's exactly what the Bible says. The voice of a God and not a man. The voice of a God and not a man. And upon this, the king, Herod, did neither rebuke them nor reject their imperious flattery. That he received their worship. And we know that the Bible teaches, don't ever take glory for yourself. Why? Because it belongs only to God. And God's a jealous God. It's it's only deserving to him. Verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. The bad guy gets eaten by worms. Even if it seems like the wicked are winning, God can use little worms to take down the big boss. Even when it seems like the wicked are winning, even if it looks like they are getting away with it and that they're going to escape with their evilness, they are not. Because God is in control. Listen, this is so important that if you have been wronged, if you've been abused, if you've been mistreated, you can cling to God's justice. He's in control. He will right all wrongs. Now, not always in the moment, like it happened here, but he is in control. You can trust him for his judgments. They are pure and right and perfect. You can trust that even though evil seems like it's winning, it never does. But when it seems like evil is winning, we often get afraid, right? So write this down just in application. When you are afraid, because it seems like evil's winning, remind yourself that God is in control. When it seems like the wicked are winning and you get timid and afraid, or maybe just internally angry and frustrated, when you feel out of control and it causes that fear, fight the fear with faith. You need a catalog of songs. You need a, uh, some scriptures memorized. You need some people speaking to you, showing you. Acts chapter 12, God's in control. Even when evil seems like it's winning, God is in control. And so we can trust him instead of being fearful. We can trust him and we can not give up living faithfully for him, doing all that he has called us to in these things. Harvest KL, God is in control. And even though we may suffer at times, and even though it may seem too late that things are over, even though we're in that crisis and and our faith is weak, even if it seems like evil is winning, it's not true. God's in control. We can trust Him, we can act faithfully to Him, we can depend upon Him in prayer, we can continue to do the things that He has called us to, to stick with the things that He's called us to, to, to work together as a church and as a community, to make disciples of Harvest KO who understand that they're loved and sent. Don't give up, God is in control. Even when we suffer, even when it seems too late, even when our faith is weak, even when evil seems to win, build your faith in the rock-solid foundation that God is in control. As we move into 2021 and things look very different for our church, as you move into a time where there could be a lot of fear and there could be a sense of crisis and it could feel like suffering for a moment when it seems like evil might overwhelm us, Come back to Acts chapter 12. Come back to the truths of God's word. Come back to his character. God's in control. Notice what happens at the end. Verse 24, But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. And when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark, the mission continued because God was in control. Today, let's put our trust wholly in him, Let's be people of prayer, and when our faith is weak, let's continue to trust it's not based on us but on Him. When it seems too late, when it seems like it's too big and too evil, we continue to trust in Him asking Him to turn our weakness and our unbelief around, to change our hearts, that we would see that He is indeed a miracle worker, a promise keeper, the light in the middle of the darkness. He's our God who's in control in all of these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word, and I thank You for the things that You show us in Your Word. Lord, You're showing us today. You're in control even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, God, even when we question, are you working and are you in control? Lord, we're recognizing that we can put our faith not in what we see, but in what we're hearing from your word. Lord, would you help us to be people who live by faith, not by sight, that we would believe what your word says. You're in control when we suffer. You're in control when it seems too late. You're in control when our faith is weak. You're in control even when evil seems to win. God, we Thank you that you help us in suffering and crisis and weakness and in the the evil world that we live in. Would you build our faith to fully trust in you to make a way for us? Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.